Hallelujah, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. Hallelujah. 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 Gospel according to John, the 14th chapter. Jesus said to the disciples, If you love me, you will keep my commandments, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate to be with you forever. This is the Spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, because he abides with you, and he will be in you. I will not leave you orphaned. I am coming to you. In a little while, the world will no longer see me, but you will see me. Because I live, you also will live. On that day, you will know that I am in my Father, and you in me, and I in you. They who have my commandments and keep them are those who love me. And those who love me will be loved by my Father, and I will love them and reveal myself to them. This is the Gospel of the Lord. You may be seated. Beloved of God, grace to you and peace from God, our Creator, and from our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. At first glance, or first hearing, I guess, our New Testament readings this morning have little in common the first one from the book of Acts takes place in the bustling city of Athens where Paul walked the city, a stranger in a strange land. The other from the Gospel of John takes place close to home, around a table in a small room where close friends gathered for a traditional meal. Quite a contrast, and yet when I read these stories alongside each other, they help me to remember something about how God works in the world and in our lives. In the Acts story that Janet read for us, stuck with it, good job, we uh, find Paul wandering around Athens alone. This is not typical for him. In Paul's journeys, he had a partner with him, sometimes even a team of people. But in this story, he is solo. I wonder what it was like for him, a Jewish boy roaming around the city of idols. I can picture his eyes widening and his heart sinking a bit as he passed temple after temple, shrine after shrine. One ancient writer reports upwards of 30,000 sites in and around Athens dedicated to various gods. I'm not sure how to fact check that number, but even a fraction of that tally would have been enough to trouble a devout monotheist like Paul. One altar in particular caught his attention. It was dedicated to an unknown god. 
It was a place to offer sacrifices to any god that may have been offended by not being remembered or named in another shrine or temple. The Greeks were good at covering all their bases. What Paul saw caused him enough distress that in addition to the regular teaching he did in the synagogue, he ventured into the marketplace, into the public square. I've got to hand it to Paul. The guy had chutzpah. This was not some backwater of the Mediterranean. This was Athens, the home of Socrates and Plato and Aristotle. Theological and philosophical rhetoric was the coin of the realm. They had practically invented it. Paul risked exposing himself to ridicule and to public shame. And yet he felt compelled, not by pride or ego or some knee-jerk need to defend his own religious customs. I don't see that in this text. I see a deep desire in Paul to share the good news of the God he had come to know so that they would find freedom in a relationship with God that they had not imagined. When called before the council, Paul spoke honestly. He named the spiritual hunger that he had observed in the city. He named their dedication to pursuing the divine. He acknowledged their eagerness to please and appease God. He pointed to the richness of their poetry and their art. Then he bore witness to the God he had come to know. The author of creation, he told them, can never be contained in anything we build or write, no matter how sophisticated. And this God of heaven and earth is not one who needs to be chased after or appeased. We do not have to offer elaborate sacrifices for this God to notice us or find favor with us. This is a God who comes to us, who desires relationship with us. We are God's family, Paul told them, God's offspring. It isn't our actions, our sacrifices that make this happen. It is God's sacrifice, God's stooping down to meet us in love that makes this relationship possible. In drawing near to us, God has saved us from all of the chasing and groping and appeasing. God has called us to divest our trust from idols so that we may live and move and have our being in God alone. Paul sounds downright eloquent to me in his sermon. The Athenians were not impressed, at least not many of them. They scoffed at him and called him a babbler. But I'm impressed. I'm impressed by Paul's courage. I'm impressed by the depth of his desire for them to know the love of God, to experience the freedom and grace that had come to him in Christ Jesus. It is this love and this grace that are so clearly on display in our gospel reading. I wish the Athenians could have gathered around the table where we find 
Jesus and the disciples in the John text. It would have required some time travel, and that would have been weird. But they would have witnessed this remarkable intimacy and fidelity that may just have satisfied their hungry hearts. Jesus gathered his friends shortly before his arrest and instructed them to abide in the love that he had shared with them. I am in the Father, and you are in me, and I am in you. The disciples had been drawn into this circle of divine love and relationship. Through all that was to come, this is where they were to remain, to abide. Jesus promised them that even after his resurrection and ascension, this circle of love would not be broken. He would not leave them orphaned and alone, but would come to them to walk alongside them. The word used here is paraclete, which is often translated advocate or helper or comforter. It is a name for the Holy Spirit. But literally, the word means to be called alongside. In his physical absence, Christ would still be alongside them through thick and through thin, in good times and in bad, in life and even in death, the circle of divine love would not be broken. It is this same promise that we remember and cherish as we gather today. Like the Athenians, we have a spiritual hunger that we cannot meet on our own. And like them, we have so many options Perhaps more than at any point in history, we swim in a sea of new ideas and choices, each beckoning for our attention and our loyalty. We are invited to put our trust in more places than are even imaginable. Idol-making remains a clear and present danger. But the good news of God in Christ has not changed as with the first disciples, you and I have been drawn into this circle of love through Christ Jesus. As he abides with us and we abide with him and with each other, we experience the beloved community that Jesus described. We feast on the promise that we are never alone, that in every circumstance of life, Christ is beside us as our advocate and our comforter. This promise has the power to give us courage to move out from this place beyond these walls to live the gospel in our daily lives. The circle of love which begins with God and enfolds us ripples outward as we share the freedom and the grace of God through our words and our actions. This is only possible because the Spirit of Christ dwells with us, abides in us, walks beside us, now and always. It is in him that we live and move and have our being. Thanks be to God. Amen.